1: Hello and welcome back to the Weekside Podcast. I'm Jenny Vrentis here with Connor Orr. And at the risk of jamming your feeds with another MMQB mock draft, we did one on the MMQB Monday Morning Show. And now we have one on the Weekside Podcast feed. Connor, your mock draft is coming out on Tuesday of this week. And it's a big day. Connor is invested. He's in it to win it. We have an annual competition between us and Albert Breer. Connor does the scoring every year. And this year, I think Connor's Connor's feeling pretty good about where he's headed, huh?
0: I, You know what? This is one of those exercises where every year uh, I start the mock draft and I'm like, man, this is so dumb. And I hate it so much. And then when I'm done, and I want to make sure I'm couching the language here because I don't want this to sound like I'm confident. But when I'm finished, I love the i'm in i'm in love with the product and so not not to say that i think it's good or that i think it's accurate but i love the version of the events that unfolded in this universe that i've completely made up and so um rarely is it right um i was uh doing a radio interview uh a couple days ago and someone said connor how do you approach (laughs) this time of year uh (laughs) when you're doing your mock draft and i said, "Well." Uh, this would be a better question to ask of somebody who's gotten more than four right uh, in the last five years. But uh, like every time, you uh, you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Um, there are a few that I feel pretty good about, but there's such a crapshoot here. And um, when you start this far out, like I bet in three weeks, two weeks, there's gonna we're, we're gonna know who the Forty ers are taking at three, right? um and right now we don't and so i feel like that's going to kind of cause a little bit of a traffic jam in my mock draft if i'm wrong but mm-hmm. um i don't know it's fun it's a good way to learn about all the players especially catch up on people that you didn't have time to watch during the college football season and you know uh speaking to all the college kids out there if i could put all of you number 1 I would. And so I think that's the important thing. To Connor,
1: miss. it's important to send that message. Well, I will say there is a distinct time disadvantage that plays into the mock draft challenge. Like our drafts do not drop on the same day. So Connor's is this Tuesday. Mine is next Tuesday. And Albert does his final one, I think the morning of the draft. So Connor, I would say your positioning is the weakest. So that should somehow factor into the score because you're the farthest out. And a lot of times some things come into focus. Of course, there are situations where there's a false smoke screen that becomes the hot trend of the moment. And then it recedes by the time the draft is here. But Connor's draft is in a difficult position. However, I'm looking at his top 10 here. I really like it. And Connor, we are going to go through it, but we are not starting with number one because Everyone knows Urban Meyer has essentially admitted to Peter King that they are taking Trevor Lawrence. So we are going to start at three. Connor has the Jaguars taking Trevor Lawrence at one and the Jets taking Zach Wilson at two, two picks that have been pretty much penciled in, at least in the perspectives of those league wide. Would you say Connor?
0: Yeah, I I think that's fair. Um, And I, you know, I'm not sure exactly how we got there on, on Zach Wilson, uh, but I I like him. I think he's uh, a lot of fun to watch. I think the jets have kind of dialed in on him. And I guess the reason that I feel like that cemented is, you know, all the big national reports that came out about, um, the following that big day of quarterback trades were, uh, you know, teams were looking to get up to two, maybe to get Wilson and the jets told everybody, no, which just, I think leads us both to believe that Wilson is the one that the jets were kind of holding on there for, um, Unless this is a draft day scenario, in which case it's Vontae Mack, no matter what. So, um, yeah, we're going to start at uh, number three with the 49ers. We're going to start at three.
1: Okay. So the 49ers have also clearly come up for a quarterback. But the question is which quarterback they will take. So, Connor, you know, this is really a lot of drafts are going to differ here, I think. So who do you have the 49ers taking as their next quarterback?
0: I have Trey Lance, and I stayed with Trey Lance I, uh, when we did the offseason quarterback carousel at the beginning of March. I had the 49ers trading up to two to take Trey Lance. Um, I, I just feel like if you add in—like everyone's saying Mac Jones, Mac Jones, Mac Jones— And I just feel like Kyle Shanahan wouldn't go bananas to trade up for a guy that maybe in two years is as good as Jimmy Garoppolo was during that Super Bowl run. And so I feel like Trey Lance has um, all the uh, intangibles of what Garoppolo might give you with the added upside of that power. Um, He's mobile he adds an element to the offense that it doesn't contain presently. And Mm -hmm. the reason that I settled on Lance was because right now the 49ers are holding on to Garoppolo. And so I feel like they're holding on to Garoppolo because you're taking a quarterback that you feel might need a little bit of seasoning. And in my mock draft, I, I do note that Lance has by far the fewest collegiate attempts out of any of the consensus five guys. In fact, he has about half of the college attempts that, that Mac Jones has and Mac Jones has fewer attempts than Justin Fields Zach Wilson or Trevor Lawrence who has by far the most and so um, I feel like those are the two reasons why um, up athletic upside plus the fact that you probably feel like he needs a little bit of time is why I, I'm, I'm going with Trey Lance
1: yeah and even though the 49ers are in a position who, where they're going to get the third quarterback after the the first two go off the board who we have a pretty good idea of, and clearly they traded up with an idea that whoever they could get at three, they would really like. It's It feels like this is something that they're really holding their cards close to the vest. Ultimately, it's going to be Kyle Shanahan's decision. They hired him because of his offensive scheme, because of his ability to work with and develop quarterbacks. And so... This is his pick. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of information out there. He is a a pretty secretive guy from what we've seen through the years, Connor. So ultimately, it's his call. It's his decision. He's going to have certain things that he's looking for. But I think you lay out a pretty compelling argument for Trey Lance. So, okay, pick number three, Connor Orr is giving Trey Lance quarterback, North Dakota State, to the San Francisco 49ers. All right, moving on. Pick number four. Okay, so Connor, this is the Falcons pick. But as we discussed on last week's show, the Falcons could move out of this pick if they don't want to go the direction of quarterback. And actually, shortly thereafter, we recorded last week's show, but before it published on our feed, reports came out that the Falcons were taking calls on the number four pick and that they were open to moving out of it. Of course, that's a common headline you see this year, but it makes a lot of sense. They did the contract restructure for Matt Ryan. So if you are not taking a quarterback in this year's draft, if you're not going to use the number four position, you could very easily move out, get a little bit more draft capital and still take a top player at a skill position, perhaps, or offensive line or wherever, whatever direction you want to go with a little bit later. So you have them trading out, Connor.
0: Yeah, and I I have them trading out with with the Broncos, and I guess I, I struggle with it a little bit because I think that in order for this to happen, the Falcons are going to have to come down on their price, and it's probably going to have to be something that's done like you know twenty minutes before the draft starts, right? I, I think that's kind of the probably that window. Like if you go back historically to some of these other trades that have happened, like maybe in that time frame they decide to strike a deal because I think Atlanta came out and said that that pick was open shortly after they saw um, what uh, the Dolphins got for that number three pick. And so I think that they thought, okay, there, there, there might still be a tailwind on this, on this gold rush a little bit. Let's open the doors. But I don't think that they, I don't think it's going to be as much of teams trying to claw up there. So I think they're going to have to lower their price. Ideally in the perfect world, I I would have had a better slot for the Broncos to trade into, right? Because there's really no fear of the Bengals taking a quarterback at five. Um, I guess maybe you could say that there's a slight fear of the Dolphins taking one at six. And while I agree with you that the Lions aren't going to take one at seven, maybe you're also afraid that the Lions would take one. If you're a team that doesn't talk, you know, that doesn't have any information on there, like maybe those are the teams you're trying to leapfrog. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Uh, So I guess that was the only place that I could find to make some sense to have the Broncos move up, but I have the Broncos moving up to take Mac Jones, uh, and I just think this makes the most sense. I think that... The Broncos already have some familiarity with Mac Jones. They did a a ton of work on Jerry Judy last year, uh, so they know what Mac Jones is capable of. They already have information inside of Saban's camp. There's friendliness there. They probably feel like they have a good grasp on him. Pat Shermer uh, doesn't seem to be the kind of guy who wants that mobile next-generation quarterback yet. Uh, I think he he prefers that pocket-style passer and... So with all those things in mind, and and Mac Jones is best suited for an offense where, you know, you are looking to run the ball first, and that's what Vic Fangio wants to do. So combine all those things together, and I think you have uh, Mac Jones going at four to the Broncos, but who knows? I mean, you know, uh, that's—this is— this is the or Oracle mock draft. This is like essentially the biggest Oracle, right? And and yeah, uh, it's just sort of a poor advertisement for the Oracle in general, you know. But we'll see. Maybe Mac Jones goes at four to the Broncos. Who knows?
1: I I don't think that's a fair assessment, Connor. I'm very excited about this mock draft that you're putting forth. <laughs> so okay, so you've got you've got Mac Jones, quarterback, Alabama, going at four to the Broncos. Who? haven't done a lot at the quarterback position this right. off season. So I think it makes sense that they would need to get a guy in the draft and don't want to miss out. So might move up. All right, Connor yeah. on to pick number five, the Bengals.
0: All right. So I have Penny Sewell here and um, I, I know I, I love Bengals. Twitter is tearing itself apart over Penny Sewell versus uh, top offensive weapon. And I'm not sure where you fall on this, Jenny. I'd actually be really interested to hear your take on this. But to me, it's offensive line first, weapon second, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, there, there doesn't seem to be an argument here, although there are a lot of people, especially folks on the analytically-minded side, that are telling me that I'm wrong, and, and that's fine. Everybody's uh, kind of got, got their opinion. But if your quarterback almost got his knee destroyed, I think that that's the universe pointing to you and saying, you need to do much better uh, than you currently are at protecting him and so I think Penny Sewell makes some sense and the second reason there is the reason I, I, I have Penny Sewell over um, Rashawn Slater is that mm-hmm. Sewell did a lot more zone blocking in Oregon and that's what the Bengals do and so for those reasons I have him there even though Slater might be a better offensive tackle and I think he actually might go for, uh, before Sewell in the regular draft in this scenario, that's kind of how I have everything laying out.
1: Yeah. And I think that's interesting because there has been a lot of conversation for a while. We thought Sewell would be the first tackle to go first, but in the last few weeks, there's been a lot more talk. Could Slater jump him? And as for the team building, Connor, I'm a hundred percent in your camp. I think part of the reason Andrew Luck is out of the league right now is because the team that he played for had an outside in approach to roster building rather than inside out. And I think there's nothing more important than the offensive line, especially the way we saw Joe Burrow get, you know, battered last season um, behind a a offensive line that needed a lot of improvement. So they're in a great spot to get a great franchise tackle. And uh, yeah, it seems like a perfect fit.
0: Yes. All right. So yeah, I feel good about that one. Um, We'll see. I mean, and again, uh, for those of you who are curious about the Jenny, Albert, Connor mock draft competition, you do get points, uh, just less points for nailing the team and the position. And so my hope is that I've kind of moneyballed this mock draft to the point where I'm picking up a lot of just one pointers and, and, and maybe not as many three pointers. But, you know, hopefully hanging on there. I just can't imagine that they're like, yeah, Joe, go. Joe Burrow, we we got Riley Rife, and so that's fine, uh, and we fixed all the problems and mm-hmm. go back out there and play in front of that offensive line. That that to me would seem bonkers, and uh, mm-hmm. you know I don't know, and and Rife can play guard too, so he can bump down for everybody that's yelling at me and saying that he's going to stay at tackle. So anyway, uh, yeah,
1: I mean you had the number one pick overall last year, you got Joe Burrow, a, a team that a lot of other te- a player that a lot of other teams wished they were in position to get, and now you have to make sure that he's in a position to succeed and there were too many times last year where he just didn't have enough time to make a play and he was constantly running for his life and then ultimately he gets injured so it it, it almost it was at the point last year where you were just were every play you were worried he was going to get injured until he mm-hmm. finally did and so that's why i think they have to go in this direction it's of utmost importance. definitely importance excuse me okay <laughs> All right, on to the next team, pick number six, the Dolphins, who are in this slot via the Eagles.
0: So I have them going with Kyle Pitts, and for everyone who is gracious enough to subscribe to the Gary Grambling uh, Monday podcast, which Jenny and I were also part of, Kyle Pitts lasted until like the middle of the, in the teens, and so I was, I was like horrified. I was like, is there something about Kyle Pitts that I'm missing here, which is more than possible, but I, I... I think he looks great and I think he would be perfect in that offense. But if I was the four, you know, if I'm the Dolphins, I like him slightly more than any of the receivers just because there's all the things that you're getting from all the receivers plus a little bit of blocking plus a little bit of position versatility there. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is kind of the year of the tight end, although we've seen tight ends blossom in the last few years, but it would make sense that a tight end would, would go this high in this year's draft. I mean, clearly we saw the way Bill Belichick spent on tight ends and free agency. And I think you need, the Dolphins need more weapons and he would be a great versatile weapon to put in their offense. If they are moving forward with Tua, if they are not going for a quarterback this high in the draft, and if they're not acquiring another quarterback, you know perhaps Sean Watson might have been a consideration, but obviously there's a, a lot of uncertainty about his future right now. So so yeah, Kyle Pitts would be a, a great addition and how do you see them him fitting into this offense?
0: It's a good question. Um, I, I thought, Uh, You know, their their new offensive coordinator, George Godsey, um, was in New England during that really formative time for the Patriots when they ran a lot of the the two tight end stuff that sort of changed the game for New England. And I think it's coming back around. um, But I also feel like. Pitts is somebody who might not even play a ton of inline tight end like it might be a guy that you're motioning out a lot um uh, using him to sort of get reads on defenses they're obviously gonna have to roll their coverage to him and so that's gonna give Tua a lot of intel before the snap which i think will be really helpful but Mm -hmm. i could see him playing a ton of x receiver i could see him playing a ton of slot receiver and we'll see um you know gary Uh, uh, disagreed with my assessment of his blocking uh, and and I will defer to Gary on that and maybe there is more to his blocking than we know and so I I think that's something that I'm looking forward to too if he's if he's an NFL capable blocker um, then I think there's a ton the sky's the limit with what you can do with him
1: all right so now we're on to pick number seven the Detroit Lions Connor
0: Well, stop me if you've heard this before, Lions fans, but there's a high-profile receiver available for you in the top 10 of the draft, which seems to happen (laughs) like once every two years um, for the (laughs) franchise. But uh, this was hard. I mean, and I'm really interested slash panicked to see how you have the receivers ranked and then how Albert has the receivers ranked um, because it's such a good class. And, uh, you know, the order here, just like it was two years ago, or last year with Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb and all these guys, it can mm-hmm. really throw off a mock draft. But I'm just going with my gut here with Jamar Chase. I think that he's the Kenny Galladay replacement. He gives Jared Goff someone to come in and throw to right away. He gives the Lions someone to, to, to develop and, and the positional values there. It's just, I think it makes the most sense. Anywhere else, you're probably reaching a little bit. And if you're Detroit in this scenario, it's probably a good feeling to know that you have the first choice of all these wide receivers, and it's supposed to be this legacy-defining receiver class.
1: Yeah, Connor, I thought a lot about last year's class, too, and the similarities where there were three receivers that were clearly the top group, but nobody had any clear idea of how they would come off the board, and it was a surprise when Henry Ruggs was the first receiver off the board going to the Raiders, and then followed by Judy and the Cowboys were thrilled to get CeeDee Lamb at pick number 17, probably did not think he was going to be there. And I think you and I both had them going in a different direction, edge rusher, defensive pick last year, but then Lamb was still on the board. So I think this year is very similar. There's, There's a group of top three receivers, and it's hard to know how teams feel about them. And what's interesting about that position is, Do you go with the person that best fits in your offense? Do you go with a guy that is so good you feel like you'll just make it work around him? Um, So a lot of different directions to go, and we're not sure who the first receiver will be off the board, but I think you make a compelling case here, Connor, for Chase to be the the first one.
0: Yeah, uh, added uh, .69 expected points average per target during his last year at LSU, and that was not a great lsu team so it just kind of goes to show how much he can add to that offense and you know who knows uh mm-hmm. and as we talked about uh on the gary uh podcast on monday um i'm saving jalen waddle for the eagles because <laughs> i just love the idea of the jalen 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 connection and um you know that's uh that it just it feels right you know
1: i love the stats of the epa per targets or you had one similarly the other way around with the cornerbacks um that you cited on the monday morning show great stat connor yeah
0: Thanks to Sports Info Solutions, yes. who very friend, uh, very graciously sends me a book every year. So
1: and you uh, got me on their list as well. So mine came in the mail a few weeks ago. So yes. I will. I will use the stats that Connor did not use in his mock draft. I will. <laughs> I will comb through the pages for the leftover stats that are worthy of including. So there
0: you go. Perfect. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Well, why
1: don't you just tell us... We've gotten to seven, so why don't you just give listeners a little bang, bang, bang of eight, nine, ten, Connor? Um, okay. And All not right. an even number.
0: Let's do it. Um, so to finish out the top ten, the Panthers taking Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern. Um, again, Gary seems to think that Justin Fields is the pick here, um, and he wants... Uh, Gary, you know, I, I he is the opposite <laughs> chaos. It, like... We talked about this yesterday on the podcast. I don't know if it was on the podcast or off air, but the difference between good chaos agent, bad chaos agent. Gary is chaos for the sake of chaos. Um, I'm chaos for the sake of making you laugh. Chaos for the sake (laughs) of chaos is, at least even for a split second, having Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, and uh, uh, Justin Fields on your roster at the same time. That feels crazy to me. Um,
1: Maybe Bridgewater would be moved.
0: That's true. Maybe you get rid of him before then. Um, yeah, that's true. Maybe you do that before the draft starts. I, uh, yeah. You know, it would really screw that up if they gave him to Denver and then. Pff,
1: oh b- man. Bye bye or know, mock. I was know. just going to say, you know what? That's probably going to happen beforehand. And then <laughs> see, that's, that's what I'm talking about. The position where your, your draft comes in is that you're at mm-hmm. a, you're in this, your, your mock drops right before like the pre-draft flood of information.
0: You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a. I'm gonna do a second one this year that I want to be graded on. Uh, and, you know
1: what? This is a great idea. Yeah
0: because I, I would say that the reason that I picked this is getting a little deep into the mock draft weeds. Um, but for anyone at home who likes to do their own mock drafts, you know, I, I think it's it's a worthwhile discussion topic. The reason that I like the first slot is because so often all the conventional wisdom kind of hits a point. Uh, where we've agreed on everything, and then from the point where mine comes out to the point where Albert comes out, that's when all the craziness happens, and everything gets zigzagged. And then, like the morning of the draft, we all mm-hmm. come back to, "Of course, it's this way. This is the way it what has been all year." Like, I don't know why everybody's thinking about things in a different way. And so, I did kind of like that. Mm-hmm. That said, two years in a row of very few direct hits uh, has been frustrating. And so, maybe I'll maybe I'll throw out a second one. You know? Yeah,
1: sometime. I mean. I think that's true to an extent, Connor. I like where you're headed with this. It's the same uh, same theory that you hear scouts saying a lot. is Stick to how you felt at the end of the football season when you were grading the film rather than how you feel after the combine or the pro day or all of these meaningless obstacle courses that players are sent through. The mm-hmm. only problem with that is sometimes... Teams act in ways that tip their hand, and then that information is valuable. So sometimes that's top 30 visits or an interaction at a pro day or potentially a trade or another roster move. And so when you do have kernels of information that teams can't help but giving away information on, then sometimes that does help inform the picks. But okay, yes, we did have a robust debate about the Panthers pick on the Monday morning show. So Connor is going in a different direction here at eight. And then, all right, nine and ten, Connor.
0: So Patrick Sertan to the Falcons because remember, Falcons have traded back from uh, uh, from the number four spot with Denver. There, um, again, I mean, Sertan seems like the best option. Um, really dominant player in Alabama's secondary and the Falcons I think need a lot of help at that position and they can pair him with their first round pick from last year and uh, help kind of rebuild that secondary and then at 10 uh, the Cowboys this will be one of those where they're going to have to yank the phone away from Jerry Jones he'll probably <laughs> want to grab maybe uh, Jalen Waddell or maybe he wants to get um, you know Devonta Smith or one of these other great receivers to continue strengthening uh, a strength but um, their defense uh, just has so many problems and they lost more uh, talent Chidobe Iwuse going to Cincinnati this offseason so I have J.C. Horn going there and uh, I like him because the Cowboys have Dan Quinn now and uh, J.C. Horn actually almost split directly man and zone so he played half snaps in man half his snaps and zone at South Carolina so he has a lot of experience doing both he can come right in comfortable both ways so that's uh, that's who I have rounding out the top 10.
1: All right, well, Connor has sent me a couple more picks that I'm peeking at now, but we'll save those for people to read on the website. But good stuff, Connor. I really uh really into your mock draft and I like the idea of you putting out another one perhaps uh,
0: that Monday or Tuesday of draft week. so with the ability to then revert back to this one if it's more correct
1: <laughs> okay so now we're kind of going into the oracle mode of like <laughs> multiple parts so that like you know you can maximize partial credit take the the best of whatever picks you had i, I really like it connor the cya the, cov-
0: the cover your you know what uh a, a, <laughs> a defense yeah no that's uh that's what i'm all about here so
1: All right. Well, so this was this was an awesome exercise. Well, in theory, be back with with mine next week. But I can't imagine that going well. I I don't I not feeling not feeling too strong about my my intel on this year's draft, Connor. So
0: do you understand, though, like, because we did this last year, and I I like not looking at it until we do the show. um, But that show that we do every year is the queasiest that I am uh, before the draft because it's like I think I've said this before but it's like looking at the smart kids paper before you turn yours in and then you're like oh no oh no oh no but you were on you were dead on so many times like the last few years like uh, nobody was listening to you about Daniel Jones for example like that and like these little like nuggets that you have that like come out of nowhere and click the whole thing into place you know
1: well, that's a very uh, charitable view of last year's draft for, <laughs> for sure. So, uh, but uh, but yeah, we'll we'll have more discussion to come on next week's show, Connor. Okay. Um, all right. So, you've, you the the top of the show has really all been the oracle, but we're we're gonna stick to tradi- tradi- tradition and continue with another oracle segment. I mean, it's it's really a bonus oracle this week. So, I mean, really, we're our listeners are hitting the lottery.
0: Yeah, lucky you uh, that you can go out and uh, and and listen to all this these false prophecies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it wouldn't be the weak side podcast if we didn't undercut our own picks, Connor.
0: True, uh, very true. So I have two. Uh, so you can read this in uh, the mock draft that's coming out tomorrow. And for some reason, there are two. Like you know what it's you know when uh, um, somebody does those uh, those mind reading seminars. Do you remember that guy? Um, God, he was on, like, Dr. Phil and Oprah all the time. It was, like, my mom was super into him. Maybe it was, like, John Roberts or something. And he was, like, the first of those guys on TV that would, like, have those big... Uh, audience groups and then he would be like i'm sensing over here someone with a p name a p name and then someone would be like oh i'm phil and then it's like oh do you have a dead cat phil and he's like yes and i can't believe it and you know like that guy and so okay um so i was sensing like an area of the drafts uh that i thought was giving me particular vibrations oh and that, okay and that was picks 22 and 23 with the titans and the jets um and so I'll give you sort of my quick takes on that. All right. Um, I this is think, very specific, Connor. Yes. And so I think that you can take to the bank that the Titans are taking a defensive back. Uh, a lot of people thought they, were, they uh, need help bolstering the pass rush um, uh, and that they're kind of up in the air with a couple of positions there. I think you can take to the bank that they are taking a cornerback. Um, I have Eric Stokes out of Georgia, and I think that might be an interesting selection there. And with the Jets at 23, I think there's – very little doubt that they're going to hold on to that pick a and B they're going to use that uh, to draft an edge rusher to complete Mm. their defensive line. And so I have Aziz Ojolari from Georgia. Um, I, you know, he might fit better in a three, four, but I'm sort of a placeholder there, but I, I would Mm. like, um, I I think I'm, I I feel very oracally about the fact that they're going to take uh, an edge rusher uh, with that second first round pick.
1: Probably second only to the jets futile a long lasting search for a quarterback is their search for an edge rusher.
0: Mm. it is I remember um I think I did a show with the jets um eric allen and 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 them uh, they do a great job over there, and they had asked me about the Jets pass rush when uh, you and I were covering the team and i and I immediately thought like, oh, jets pass rush, and I was like, oh, the legendary. And then I, I was like, well, who was the, <laughs> there were no, it was Sean Ellis, you know, that was really the guy um, that was the guy that changed the game uh, in that uh, divisional playoff win over New England. But there was really not a whole lot of those guys that when you think of those Jets teams, you think of pass rushers, like, you know, it was Gastineau, it was Sean Ellis, and then kind of a big blank wide open space after that.
1: Yeah, that's what I meant. Like, the, this this millennium really has been... Yeah. They've been constantly been trying to bring in the next guy, you know, Vernon Golston. Um, yeah. There's been some, some misses Quentin there. Quinton Copels. yeah. I mean, they've uh, drafted a lot of that position and it just hasn't worked out, so... If Joe Douglas could draft a top edge rusher, it would really set him apart in the minds of Jets fans. Connor,
0: imagine doing that in the same draft, like a quarterback that you're going to have for five plus years and a pass rusher that you're going to have wow. for five plus years. That guy, you would you could build a statue of him on uh, on Highway 287 there, right, passes <laughs> the Jets facility. Uh, yeah, in New Jersey. yeah. I mean, a big opportunity here for Joe Douglas. You know, it's weird. Um, I was saying that uh, really it's it, this is his second draft
1: second, right, right second yep
0: and in a lot of ways it mirrors mike tannenbaum's first as head general manager when he got to Brickishow ferguson nick Mangle set them up for a lot of success he has a chance to do something uh, very yeah. similar here so yeah we heard that
1: We heard about that draft for a long time, rightly (laughs) so. um, No, I mean, seriously, it was was a great draft class. So, you know, this has the potential to be an important one for the Jets one way or the other.
0: Yeah. Um, But let's get to, I mean, enough of this. Mock drafting stuff. We need our uh, daily regiment of uh, truth and and goodness. And that's why we turn to Jenny uh, for the with the Varentus consensus.
1: Well, I just happened to see that this year at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytic Conference. They vote for the best transaction in sports, and they voted for the Cardinals trade for DeAndre Hopkins. Um, And, you know, we had a good discussion, actually, on the Monday morning show, Connor, about that you think the Cardinals still have a need for adding a good receiver in this year's draft to allow them to run the four wide sets that that offense needs to be really productive. Um, But I'm just thinking about the flip side of that transaction is, like, that move was far more consequential for the Texans than the Cardinals. And you could look at it as the best transaction because, um, you know, the Cardinals getting a a premier player like DeAndre Hopkins, but that was really the beginning of the collapse that we saw last year that led to Bill O'Brien being fired, Jack Easterby being under the microscope as to the role that he's played with the team. uh, The beginning of Deshaun Watson's alienation from the Texans and certainly that does not include uh, what has happened the last few weeks. That is a different level. That is serious allegations of, of sexual assault and harassment. So that's a entirely different category, but just in terms of how the franchise went so quickly from a lead against the chiefs in Arrowhead stadium to the disarray that resulted in the 2020 season. And it just is a reminder of, of how, Um, significant the ripple effects were from that one transaction for the Texas franchise. So I just was thinking of that. And it's interesting to see it be named as the best transaction for a team when the negative impact was far more significant, I would say, for the team on the other end of it.
0: Yeah, it really is amazing how like some of these things, like maybe it's building towards something, but there's always that moment. Um, A lot of people use Jenga as an example, but I prefer Kerplunk because the pieces are smaller but like you take the little (laughs) kerplunk straw out and then all of a sudden boom you know everything just uh breaks apart but yeah what a great uh um what a great take and I do I do agree I mean I think that uh, that that's one of those things that we'll be thinking about especially if the Cardinals win we need the Cardinals to win a little Mm -hmm. bit more yeah and boy does that just Mm -hmm. really rub some salt into the wound there um and and make it even more ridiculous uh, of a deal but yeah, really interesting how that all, uh, and crazy how that all worked out. But I yeah. agree. I think they should take another receiver. Take another one.
1: I thought it was Strengthen an interesting take. It was an interesting explanation. And yeah, certainly things didn't come together for Arizona the way we thought they might, even early in the season, uh, didn't end up. Uh, we we were high on them early, Connor, and we thought they were going to be a, a playoff team last year and they fell a little bit short ultimately. So it'll be interesting if they take the next step forward this year. But yeah, the team on the other end of the transaction really went into a downward spiral
0: after that point. So, Are you, are you fired up about next week? Like s- s- quietly, like I know that you're, you know, I know that your game is kind of like, you know, uh, very uh, understated confidence, but <laughs> qu- quietly there's like that, Ghostbusters backpack of confidence and and fire and, uh, and determination. So I know I, that that's in there.
1: I feel like mock drafts are terrible for a person of my personality type who like <laughs> second guesses everything because then draft day comes and you're like, I had that name in there and I changed it at the last minute, you know, so it always comes with that feeling of I was so close, but I didn't write the name down, you know, but ultimately, and you know, in our mock draft challenge, really what's at stake is like. Nice bottle of rosé, Connor. So it's not like our jobs are on the line for general
0: managers around the league. So at least we can have a little
1: bit of fun with the exercise.
0: We should. We should just name it the Rosé Trophy at this point. Like, <laughs> and
1: really, yeah. yeah, two years running, a bottle of rosé was the prize.
0: So very nice. Um, Yeah. Well, thanks for going down my picks with me this week, Jenny. If anybody wants to, um, as we always encourage you to leave a rating and review, um, it helps people find the show. But also in the comments, you can, again, tell us what you think of the show, but also tell us who do you think is going to win the mock draft challenge this year. Maybe we'll throw a poll up at some point. Um, Jenny, like you... Ran away with the poll last year. I remember posting something similar. You, you beat me, obviously, um, but I remember our audience uh, had zero confidence in me to begin with right <laughs> through. So, and uh, we'll see if that trend continues. But I, I would invite you all to leave us a rating and review, maybe a message of encouragement for your favorite Weekside podcast mock drafter. We could, Lord knows, we could use it. So,
1: there you go. I love it, Connor. The Weekside podcast is me, Jenny Vrentis, and Connor Orr. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Mark Moravik is the emeritus executive director of the MMQB. Our theme music was written and composed by singer-songwriter Ryan Harris Brown, whose latest album, Stranded in the Present Tense, is available now on all major streaming services. Keep keep up with the Weekside podcast by subscribing to our new feed. And as Connor said, please leave a rating and review, which really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, radio.com, Stitcher, or wherever else you find your podcasts.